Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. This podcast was recorded in May 2020 during the coronavirus outbreak, so please excuse any sound issues as we are recording remotely. For the latest information on financial support and benefits, visit gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. Whether you're planning to have your first child, got one on the way, or thinking about which school to send them to, we're talking about the financial impact of having a family on the penny drops today. Joining me remotely from his home is Rich Edwards, one half of the hugely popular Instagram account, Two Dads in London. Hi, Rich. Hiya, Andrea. Lovely to chat to you. Thank you for joining me today. And also joining us remotely down the phone line, so excuse any crackles, is the lovely Becky O'Connor. Um, you are a personal finance expert from Royal London and also a parent, aren't you, Becky? Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Lovely to have you down the line. Um, now, first up, I wanted to come to you, Rich. Um, talk to me about the two dads in London and your parenting journey so far. So we, we are, as it says, two dads and we've adopted two children. We started that process about five years ago now and we've got two children who are nearly five and nearly two. Our parenting journey was, it was as it says really, we, we decided to go for the adoptive route being two dads. We did look into all of the other options available at the time but we decided that the best route for us would be adopting children. One, because we know there are lots of children out there that, that need a, a safe family home. Um, and two, because we be something that we could jointly do, whereas some, some other options may mean that one of us would biologically be the parent and one of us wouldn't. And we, we wanted to go in it completely joint. And for people who don't follow your account, I mean, they should, obviously. But before lockdown, how, how did it work with you as a family? Because you're a mortgage advisor and your husband, Lewis, is working in the NHS. As you just mentioned, you've got two lovely children and now a puppy. So how's the, how are things working at the moment for you? Yeah, I mean, beforehand, we Lewis works two days a week as a, a nurse in a GP practice. So there's two days a week where we would both be working every week and we obviously used to have some help from our mums. Both of our mums used to essentially take the role of childcare on those two days, which as because of lockdown has now stopped. So we've had to completely change um, some of the things that we do. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. So many parents and like you say, like grandparents in the same position at the moment being separated because of lockdown. Becky, I also wanted to come to you now. You are also a parent. So how does your journey compare to Rich's? I had my eldest when I was 30, so I was actually um, relatively young compared to some of my friends. Also, like Rich, we have a dog, and we got the um, we got the the dog um, about nine months before we had our first child. And um, so, I remember, you know, that time was just a crazy time. We got the dog, we moved house, we had William, and then. Uh, uh, we moved out of London to Kent, actually, and um, so there was a lot going on at that time. I'd left the job. We had such a, a mix of childcare arrangements. We had my mother-in-law, um, we had childminder at one point, nursery, um, and nanny at one point, an au pair. It, it just it flexed depending on what we needed in terms of what work I had on because I was self-employed. But there are so many routes to becoming a parent, like you've just both described. You, If you were talking to first-time parents, um, thinking about the financial considerations of having kids, 
what would you say that they need to make sure they've got in place uh, and how should they go about managing their finances before they have kids? I think the first things first is that you you need to understand actually that there is a financial impact because I think a lot of people just think the only impact on their lives is going to be the fact that they've got to look after a child when actually looking after a child actually means paying out quite a lot of stuff. All of the buggies, the car seats and all that stuff doesn't just arrive when the child arrives as a special present from anybody. With the stork, um, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of pre-planning has got to go into that and you, you often find yourself going out shopping and buying lots of stuff before your child is here because that's the way you've got to try and really spread your your money because you're going to go from a point essentially of one day not having a child to the next day having one and that financial cost that comes with it. So I think that a bit of advice really would be to try and manage your finances early as possible and and spread out the burden of the cost because if you wait until last minute and then you do need to go and buy the buggy, the car seat and every single possible thing going like the cots and any little wardrobes, all the lovely things that you want to make their little nursery rooms look so good, you're really going to give yourself a very, very expensive month that possibly isn't affordable. And Becky, you were saying there was a house move, there was changing of jobs going on there. So what would you say were kind of the big financial considerations for you when it came to having your first? I mean, as Rich says, it's, it's you know, that first year in particular is really expensive with all the bits that you need and you, you can plan for that um, to an extent. I mean, I would say as well, try and buy things secondhand where you can because you can save a huge amount on the cost of all those things if you just go secondhand. And of course, because um, babies, they grow so quickly, um, things like secondhand clothes are very often hardly worn. I think the other thing to say is the first year is expensive, but it, it kind of doesn't really get that much cheaper. And um, so you're <laughs> then substituting like all the baby stuff, for, well, childcare costs and things, because usually by the time a child is one, um, you're starting to think about going back to work, whether that's part-time or full-time, you know, one of you if you're in a couple. The average cost of a child is, is about £4,000 a year, and that's not including housing costs. So and that's mm. spread until they're 18. And it does tend to be higher at the beginning and then sort of tail off. But there, it's that kind of just awareness that it's not all like, OK, so we've, we've done it now. We've paid all these costs in the first year, and then that's it. It's kind of, it's not. Was that £4,000 a year, Becky? Yeah, that's right. That's um, a figure from the Child Poverty Action Group, and they update it every year. It actually works out, and um, that's per child per year. It works out more expensive for single parents, actually, because they have greater housing costs, usually, that they have to manage. So it's just something to be aware of, roughly. That's what you're going to be paying over the course of one child's life, and obviously two, three children, and that average cost a year just goes up. There's not really an economy of scale, Um with some of the stuff if you have an extra child. And you mentioned a big one there as well, Becky, of maternity and being off work. How should people sort of manage this drop in income? Just sit down and look at what you're earning now and look at what your maternity pay is going to be and it will depend on the package from your employer if you're employed. If you're self-employed, you will get statutory maternity pay and you know that's actually quite a lot less, about £150 a week at the moment. So you need to work out what your disposable income is now, what it will be for every month of that first year of your child's life until you want to go back to work. And so work out how to adjust what you spend accordingly. 
save as much as you can before the baby's born. And yeah, it's just uh, kind of being realistic about what you're going to have coming in and how much that's going to change. It can be quite a shock, actually, I think, for people when they get that first paycheck that isn't a normal paycheck anymore. Really? And think, oh my gosh, how am I going to how am I going to pay for all this stuff? I suppose people get used to it, don't they? They get used to the paycheck and they think, I'll be fine, I've saved. And then it is probably quite hard to see it in black and white that first that first time it doesn't doesn't come through. Rich, I wanted to ask about your experience with paternity leave then and time off. How did how did you manage that? We looked at what was on offer in terms of adoption leave, which essentially is the, the same really as maternity leave, but it starts from the point of placement of a child. And um, most employers and the NHS specifically were really good um, with Lewis in terms of allowing him to have five extra days before adoption placement because there's a period of time that you actually need to spend specific days building up to your placement or your, your child moving in. So these these were the extra days that he was allowed off as, as being full pay. But we, we had to do the exact same thing really as Becky in terms of look at you know who who is earning more more money and who is going to be able to be the full-time carer for a period of time and actually being able to afford a bigger drop or not. And I think that's something that people need to really remember, that it's not it's not always going to be the person who you might imagine that's going to be better off afterwards, because it does come down to what your, you know, your company or your current setup that you're working for and what their arrangements are, because, you know, the, the statutory pay is obviously the statutory pay, and if anybody is earning more than that currently that that would probably be quite a drop for people to manage something that that we specifically did was as soon as we knew we were going to get to that point we we started to try and save some extra money and you know we stopped having some extra takeaways in a month or stopped having certain meals out in a month and instead started to put that separately away so that on on the payment day when lewis was paid his actual maternity pay which is obviously quite a lot less than uh, what he would normally be getting paid mm. we also had an amount of money that we sort of started to pay ourselves monthly as if it was part of his monthly pay that's such a good tip that one it really is do you think your career helped you in any way to prepare for the financial side of having children being self-employed and working in as a mortgage advisor as you do yeah I think to, to be honest it probably has given me a bit of a a step ahead of lots of people because I I work with so many people every day about their own budgeting and I'm constantly questioning well why do you do it like this why do you do it like that and I think it's given us the the tools to be able to sit down with a budget planner ourselves and go look this is this is what I would use with clients so let's use it on ourselves and actually look at what we're doing we've we've always planned our money in a probably a slightly different way to lots of people because everyone plans their money in in different ways everyone has a budget and you know filling in a spreadsheet is is great with the figures but if you don't keep talking about that budget because that is going to change your needs are going to change your outgoings are going to change you need to constantly review it and talk about it because one of you in a relationship might be struggling more than somebody else and if if you're a single parent it's even more important to to know what you've got going in and out and and making sure you know where to go to ask for help because your friends might might know really good ways of handling their money and i think it's it's opening up that discussion around family finances as not being a a hidden secret that nobody wants to know how much our family earns or brings in it's more about well we can all help each other through it because we've all probably got really good tips that we can share 
So we talked a lot about pensions on this podcast. Uh, when it comes to pension payments, whilst on maternity, paternity or adoption leave, should people still be paying into their pension pots? So I think one temptation is when um, costs are high and your income is constrained is to look at what you can cut back on. Um, now, pension contributions, if you're in an employer scheme, they will continue. Um, you and your employer can continue to make the pension contributions even when you're on leave. That's a really good thing because, as, as you know, there's a uh, pension gap um, for everybody. Um, we're not, you know, most of us aren't saving enough for retirement. But actually, one pain point, if you like, where um, a lot of people, parents, um, and usually women, tend to drop out of pensions is at this point when you're, you start your family. Um, mm. Because, you, you know, your earnings are compromised, you may, you know, leave work for a few years um, and then it's that sort of you know the damage is done to your pension you can obviously start making contributions again later on and you know it's better late than never kind of thing but if you can try really hard to keep up your pension contributions that will stand you in really good stead for the future. Becky you mentioned earlier as well if your family grows it's not like um, you have any economies of scale when it comes to kids so what kind of financial impact can that have? Yeah, I mean, so there's some smaller costs that we definitely saved. We kept the same buggy, for instance. We we had two boys, so, you know, the second one just wears the same clothes as the older one. And mm. um, so we made some savings there. But, uh, you know, when you when your family grows, you may need a bigger home. And that's uh, one thing we found we, we did actually need because we were in quite a small um, house um, and we were sort of struggling just with one child um, and that in that house and so when I was pregnant the second time we moved to a bigger house and that was quite a challenge because my income was still lower um, than it was before children so affording a bigger house um, in an area with a school that we liked and everything was was difficult and there's the extra childcare costs so when you do go back to work unless you have a, a nanny you come to your house and the cost stays the same because they're looking after your children in your home you pay extra childcare costs, so you you know the cost per child is the same if you're sending both children to nursery. You might get a small ten percent discount perhaps in the nursery. And um, childminders also um, pay uh, uh, bill you per child, so it is you know a, a, a big consideration. And um, it is actually it's not just about when you kind of want to have your children and how close in age you want them to be and the things that you think you can sort of control. Um, you, you may just not be quite in a position to afford the second child yet and it might be worth you know a few more months or years just making sure you can afford that second child and um, before mm. expanding your family there's so mm. many things to consider um, and money is just one of them and um, <laughs> it should definitely be in the mix <laughs> yeah and rich would you agree with that as i mean you've got a boy and then you had a girl so none of the clothing savings for you i'm guessing yeah, I, I would definitely agree. You you definitely need to be aware that there's going to be lots of costs by having a second child. You you can't just continue to float along as it was and an extra child doesn't bring any extra costs because it does. Um, and for us, as you say, we couldn't reuse a lot of the clothes um, because they were all so specific to being a boy and, the, you know, his buggy was, was blue. And I, I remember for a little while we... 
when we um, changed over to a stroller we did use the blue one for a little while but then we had so many people saying oh you know how is your little boy so <laughs> it got to a point where we we actually took some of Becky's advice actually that time and and we changed our buggy but we did buy a second hand one because it was only going to be for a really short period of time to have a, a different color one because very soon she was going to be walking but just coming on to some of the stuff around um, like how to be prepared um, for having a second child and thinking about nursery and childminder costs there is lots of stuff that people can try and find in terms of their local councils as well in terms of what funding arrangements that there might be or might not be and I think depending on people's drops in income it may well mean that they're entitled to some of that so mm. I think it's good to check with your local councils where you live what what offers they've got for childcare because lots of places do seem to have lots of different government fundings from certain age age points so it's really worth considering that that's a really good point actually there's um something called 30 out 15 hours um funding and 30 hours funding which for most children starts when they're three and it makes a huge difference to childcare costs it really does but as rich says it depends so much on the setting so if your child is in a nursery that's a bit more expensive and then the funding that your child reaches the age where they get some some of the funding it may only cover a small proportion of your costs and you might be expecting it to cover all of them because you've heard that at this point, you know, childcare is funded and so it's going to be free. Are there any other things to consider, such as life insurance or writing or updating your will when it comes to having kids? Absolutely. I mean, I think this is a time where, you know, you suddenly got dependent, you realise that they, they need to be looked after um, if anything happens to you. So I think actually when you start a family, um, that is a point where you might consider writing a will for the first time. It doesn't have to be very complicated. It can just be a you know a very basic will. And, you know, at this point in your life, you still may have not amassed huge amounts of assets or wealth. So just a very simple will. It doesn't cost very much. There is actually um, a free wills month as well. Um, so there are times when it's actually really cost-effective and not very time-consuming to, to write a will. In terms of life insurance, yes, that may be provided by your employer already, but not all employers provide it. And if you're self-employed, it would be something that you would set up um, for yourself. It just means that if anything happens to you, if the worst happens to you, your family will receive um, some kind of payout. And um, it's the sort of thing that you would probably benefit from advice, you know, specific to your personal circumstances, we do. But I definitely think, you know, this is a young family, small children, this is a moment to consider, you know, these sorts of things about what happens if things go wrong. And you mentioned a little while ago, Rich, about uh, ways that you found to save before uh, you had your kids. Is all the money that you saved from those things that you did give up, is it all going on toys and clothes now? How does it work? Yeah, I think some of the things that we would have done a lot more of were before kids. You know, before kids, you could just go on little weekend breaks away. All these things about having to consider childcare or taking yeah. your children with you. Those things we, we, we probably don't do as often anymore um, because, you know, we've got kids and we take them with us. But the savings in that side of things, you know, we, we don't go a, away as often. But now when we do go away, we probably go for a slightly longer period of time. And now there's also the added cost of two kids. And on lots of holidays, they don't seem to cost that much cheaper than <laughs> than adults for some reason. Um, mm. So I think there is there is things that you will save on and you will, you know, you know, stop doing. 
Um, but you, you'll find lots of other things to be spending them on, especially as your kids start to get that bit older because they then want to do everything else that all the other kids in their school are doing. So if one, one kid starts playing football, they go to football club, mm-hmm. that sounds really good. You then get there and find out that that's you know £10 a week or whatever it is. <laughs> Very quickly, you've got to go back to your budget when you get home. We've talked about loads of hid- like costs and, and hidden costs, but is there anything either of you think we haven't touched on so far when it comes to planning financially for kids? I, th- I think um, some, some of the hidden costs, because you think about all the main practical things that you need, but some of the hidden costs are just how much your, your weekly food shop becomes. Because I think your weekly food shop no longer just focus on food you know you start to really need to start buying nappies you start mm. need to buy things like wet wipes and then the kids start to like certain things that maybe you wouldn't eat as a dinner so you then end up sometimes making yourself your dinner and then you've got a separate dinner that the kids have and then you get all these you know brand new really healthy things that kids should now eat that are sold by different companies that you everyone gets under that pressure of we need to be the perfect parent and give them that that same really healthy thing that all kids seem to be having at the minute. And before you know it, your your weekly shop has jumped by sort of 20, 30 pounds that you just wasn't doing, which mm. doesn't sound like a lot when you think of it in one go. But when you're doing that every week and that starts to become the normal, you, you start getting into, you know, well over 100 pounds a month additional cost just by sneaking these small extra bits in. And I think because you always did a weekly shop before, lots of people do, or they're online delivery, and you just feel like that's normal, you probably don't plan for that as much, whereas that is, that's probably one of the real constant drains on that extra bit of finance that you, you wasn't planning for. Yeah, Becky, would you go along with that? Any hidden costs you think we haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, I mean, things like shoes and haircuts, you know, they're, they're constantly growing and they do, they do need new shoes all the time and they need shoes for different things. So, you know, they need football boots or they need, you know, ballet slippers or whatever their activities are they require different footwear for those things and um both um my children really like in normal times and lockdown times and um, football and swimming so it's all the kind of kit for those things that, that really adds up um and you know haircuts they uh they need haircuts every five weeks pretty much so that ends up being another cost that you have to you know and, and as Rich said it's these little things that actually over time build up to quite a lot um, mm. it's not just the big things that you think okay I know I need to plan for that. Is there any way that families can get help with the cost of childcare or any benefits that we haven't mentioned that could help with the bringing up children? Yes uh, there are luckily there are they do the um, help available depends on your income so I mean you know firstly look at kind of what childcare you need um, for how many days and you know you may be just going back to work for two or three days or full time and um, the solution will depend on that um, as well as what you can afford and um, there's a scheme called free childcare which is a new government scheme that replaced childcare vouchers which some people will still have if they already receive childcare vouchers but mostly now it's tax-free childcare and that is um, uh, 20% of your childcare costs. So um, every 80p you put in, the government puts in 20p. Um, mm-hmm. And that's uh, a, a top-up that's available um, from whenever you need, need to start using childcare, basically. Um, there's also um, help for uh, childcare costs through 
the universal credit system if you're on a lower income. And then, I mean, the, you know, the, the critical point is really um, before your child is age three, because as we mentioned before, there's um, at age three, uh, some funding comes in. So 15 hours, regardless of your work patterns. And then if you're working um, more than 15 hours a week, then you can get um, 30 hours uh, funded by the local authority. So that, that really does help. But the, the worst time, certainly for us, was when the boys were, um, well, from when I went back to work and we were paying childcare costs to when they were three. And at that point, when we had one child, the costs were about £1,000 a month. Um, that's probably the worst with one child. And then when we had two, there was a period of time where we were paying for two, the two of them, in childcare and I think the most we paid was about 1400 a month for a period of a few months uh, and that was awful but we did know that it was it was going to pass. And Richard has that kind of been your experience with nursery expenses and childcare costs so far? Well I think we probably are leaning on Becky's last point there around the childcare and not leaning on you know relatives too much because at the minute we do have both of our parents um, doing a specific day each, which is fine because they both only have one day and it's become, you know, nanny day and grandma day. <laughs> so they absolutely love, the kids love going there um, and, the, and the grandparents love having them. But the thought of them having them for three or four days a week is just would just be impossible because they're not, you know, that's not their employed role. That shouldn't be their job to consistently care for our kids. But at the same time, if we were to change those two current days you have to nursery costs, our outgoings would immediately, you know, be huge to have nursery costs added onto that, um, or child childminder costs separately. And there's that whole concern that people have around how many different people are then caring for their their child, which is something that we was really worried about. But I think you you definitely do need to factor in some sort of finance for childcare. Becky, your kids are a bit older, so have you started to plan for like university, house buying? How can people kind of manage that sort of long term, more long term goals for their kids? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have I have started planning for that, but um, that's probably partly because it's my job and I'm just so aware of all of this stuff. And, you know, the house deposits are so expensive now. Yeah. It's actually, it will take us until you know, both of them are 30 to actually, for us to save up the deposit mm. for them, if that's what we want to do. I mean, at the moment, I don't know, you know, we're saving a little bit every month for both of them. And we are actually using junior ices. Although I would say if you're saving for the long term, you can use, it doesn't have to be junior ices because they, they automatically um, can access those when they're 18. Um, and you may not want your children to access money that you've saved for 18 years for them when they're 18 um it might not be the best time for them to <laughs> might not be mature enough then <laughs> yeah. um so if you save it into your own savings account or your own stocks and shares ISA or whatever then you can retain control over it until the point you want to give it to them which might might make mm. more sense um <laughs> but yes yeah, so at the moment we're just saving and it will either be for help with their maintenance at university if they want to go to university Already the eight-year-old saying he doesn't want to. He wants to be a YouTuber. Um, Don't they all? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
um, it's hard to argue with, um, with um, you know, the earnings of YouTubers. Um, mm. But nevertheless, we are, you know, we've got that savings got there. It may help with maintenance costs for uni or a deposit for a house. I don't think we'll be able to save enough to help them with everything, unfortunately, even though we mm. started when they were both babies. And, you know, each of their pots is growing quite nicely, actually, even after what's happened to stock markets in the last month or so. And, and it is difficult to plan like 18 years in advance. But Rich, like you, you're an expert as well in this. So how far ahead have you and Lewis thought with your finances for your kids? Yeah, I think we, we've we've done the same. They they both have accounts um, that we try and regularly save into on a monthly basis, and we've we've tried to con- ensure that it's going to be even as well. Because you've got all these worries where they're eighteen, that one has slightly more than the other, which you just <laughs> completely wouldn't want to happen. Um, but I think we, you know, in the work that I do, I see lots of lots of younger people now constantly using Bank of Mum and Dad. Um, in lots of different ways, whether they're borrowing against their mum and dad's house to buy houses and stuff like that, which obviously we would hope isn't going to be the case when we're older because you don't want to be having more outgoings at that age. Um, mm. So we've, we, when we both had quite different um, upbringings, so you know, my, my parents had always saved and ensured that at the age of 17 I could have driving licence and at the age of 18 they, they bought me a car. Lewis didn't lucky have that. You. Yeah, I know. I, it's very lucky. And actually, when I say this to Lewis, he's constantly reminds me of that because <laughs> he he didn't have that same thing. But that was something that we we both thought was really important. So we've constantly tried to tell ourselves that we've got this little pot that we're going to try and save so that we can give them independence as early as we can mm. around them being able to know how to drive. And should they then you know be in a position to get a car, we can hopefully help help them to fund one and the the cost of insurance for it. So that's a little thing in terms of car. In terms of them eventually being able to buy houses, you know, who knows what's going to happen in all of this time by then. Um, but I think to save up the amount of money you need to save up now just to purchase a house, for us to do that for both of them without without borrowing it from somewhere, it's probably not going to be that easy. Um, so when it comes to planning for family finances, what are your tips for sort of planning for the unexpected, whether it's a change in your job or you're struggling to make mortgage payments or you have to move? What would you recommend, Becky? Well, I, you know, I think you have to prepare for the unexpected when you start a family because um, there's just, you know, there's only so much you can know is going to happen. And, um, you know, I, I, for example, I, you know, we did rely on um, my mother-in-law quite a bit in the early days and then she actually sadly got breast cancer and was out of action for a while and that you know then that changed everything and we did have a backup plan and we had some savings and I think you know that's probably the most important thing is that buffer Um, and normally um, financial advisors tend to say have about three to six months of your um, income in an emergency savings account so um, that's not your long-term investment part or your pension. It's just something in an instant access account, so that um, it's there if if you know something does happen um, like that, or if somebody loses their job or something. Um, if you know that's there and it's only for emergencies, um, you know you will have peace of mind, and you might not need it at all. And the unexpected might not happen, and everything might be fine. But the chances are, when you've got young kids, you know there'll be two or three months where something happens and, you know, you haven't got quite the income you expected. So I would say, um, you know, if you are planning a family um, and, you know, you've got some savings, 
um, you know, keep the savings for savings' sake um, and resist the temptation to spend it on something nice for your baby that they might not necessarily need because that will come in handy almost definitely further down the line. Uh, Rich, how have you planned for the unexpected? Have you done that the same as Becky? Well, I think we, we've always got our, our rainy day pot of money that isn't always easy for lots of people to save up. But we, we've been lucky enough to be able to save ourselves a bit of a pot of money that should things happen. But we we are always there on the side of caution in terms of we like to feel like we have something protecting us. So, you know, it's, it's like having your car insurance. Because car insurance, you have to have it. You Everyone has it. Um, mm. whereas you don't have to have insurance for lots of things, but it's probably really sensible. You know, we've got a, we've got a little dog, um, and you know we have pet insurance because mm. the thought of there being a overnight bill of two or three thousand pounds that would knock most people's you know rainy day pot, um, make a massive hole in it and possibly put them at you know financial struggle. So we we are probably at a couple that we pay out quite a bit in some of our um, protections and, and you know we hope that we're never going to have to ever use it. I feel like we've talked about so much there's so much to consider on the financial side of kids so can I just on a different note uh, have the most rewarding thing from both of you about having children? Um, I think it is the fact that you have these two little people who they absolutely look up to you for everything and they're so grateful for everything you do so it's all those the little smiles the little hugs the little thank yous you know, even especially at the moment in lockdown, we're all finding it hard being indoors and, you know, being under each other's feet. But you still have those really lovely little moments during the day where something really nice happens and one of the kids says or does something that makes you think, you know what, today was difficult, but that little moment just was all worth it. It's like the un- unconditional love that you just get every day. So, you know, just just for being a parent, it's just it's really amazing. And and seeing, you know, their curiosity and, uh, well, you know, just how much they're learning every day. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that at close quarters now, obviously, because of lockdown. And um, they're probably not learning as much from us as they would do at school. But, you know, there's, it's still nice to be close to that and to see um, their perceptions changing. And to see them growing um, and changing over time is just a, is amazing. There you go. It's not all budgeting and spreadsheets. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Apart from financial advice, what would you both say is your like top hack? Something that maybe you found out from another parent or something? Um, Yeah, parenting hack and tips. Um, This is this is a funny one because I think everyone has different ways of of making their their children sort of tick along. For us, we we try to let them have a specific thing that they're responsible for. Obviously, our little girl's a little bit too young for that at the minute, but our little boy is, is nearly five, and we, we try to make him in charge of something each week so that he really feels like he is, you know, the responsible person in the house for that specific thing. Aww. And it might be something really, really small, like like ensuring that the dog gets out into the garden at certain times during the day and he'll constantly ask, is it time to let her out yet? Is it time to let her out yet? Just little things, but it, it keeps him really occupied and gives him a responsibility, which which he, he seems to love because then he, you know, obviously he's a five-year-old nearly and he thinks he's in charge. <laughs> Becky, what's your top tip? Oh, well, at the moment, um, incentives seem to be working really well for us and getting through all the schoolwork. And that incentive is 
um, I'm, I'm ashamed to say almost, but um, letting them have um, half an hour to an hour on video games in the evening. <laughs> so, they, so if they do their, if they do all their schoolwork that we set out, then they get that time in the evening, and they're just the right age for that kind of bribery um, to work really effectively. <laughs> Um, so it, and it's actually getting us through lockdown now because I, I mean, I, I'm sure there'd be better things for them to be doing than playing video games. But it's that kind of compromise that they're just old enough to understand. If I do this, then I get this reward. Um, and mm. yeah, it's been it's been great for us. I have to say, it's really got us through. Um, might not always. They will get cleverer as they get older, I guess. But <laughs> for now, it works. I wanted to ask both of you if you. People are listening right now. They're thinking about planning for their kids' future. What are the top three takeaways from both of you that you would like people to take away from today's podcast? Rich, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think one of them is to try and be really, really planned. So plan for what you're getting yourselves into because if you're going to start a family, you need to be planned for that. I think once you have a family and you're starting to see the financial changes, you need to remain really open and ensure that you constantly talk about your financial position. Um, And thirdly is, like we said through lots of things, ask for help and find the help that is available because there's so much out there. Um, Search online, speak to your friends, speak to your family members and find out what, what help there is, whether it's just small bits of budget planning or actually getting grants and awards to things. You, you, you need to look, look and search for it. Yeah. Becky, what would your top three takeaways be? Um, I, I would agree with Rich on, on talking and being open and communicating about money as a couple. You, you know, you may have to do that more than you've ever done it before and be really honest about things. And it may be quite difficult at times, but it, it will reap rewards. Um, and then um, budgeting habitually, I think, is really important. So perhaps you just do it when you feel you need to at the moment. But actually, if you just set aside an hour a week or just something where you that is your time to look at what your spendings are and uh, spending is and what your income is and what it's likely to be in the coming months. Um, just always plan ahead, as Rich says, that little bit. So you, you have your long-term plan and then your shorter-term, like six-month plan for what you've got coming in and what you've got spare. Um, and if you can um, save that money then do because there will always be a reason for it um, in the future and that you might not have anticipated and 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 that's three but I suppose the fourth one would be just um, also um, you know be kind of flexible and recognize that your circumstances are going to change so much um, in the next few years um, that you just have to kind of go with the flow a little bit as well um, Mm -hmm. and accept you know your lifestyle is changing and it won't be like that forever and and you know just kind of just got to get through yeah some amazing advice there and could i throw in also maybe just get a gray buggy instead of a blue or a pink one <laughs> might last a bit longer <laughs> good thinking <laughs> um finally guys we always ask our guests a, t- a very important question um your 18 year old self what advice would you give them as an 18 year old i think i probably thought and wished i was going to become a footballer which didn't really turn out right um (laughs) but i certainly never believed that i would be actually able to have a family and i think you know it would be to stick with it because you know things are changing in the world and we we've been able to have a family so yeah it's amazing 
That's a lovely one. Becky, any advice for your 18-year-old self? Any hair dye that you wish you hadn't gone with? I would say um, seize the day and do something that you might think is quite scary or challenging and, you know, you're going to learn through the tough times and, you know, having children is um, is a challenge in itself but you get so much and I feel like that's a really good example of doing something that does seem like a huge leap of faith um, mm. and it, it changes your life completely but the reward mm. is just immense and so, yeah, um, you know, don't avoid the scary stuff. Just embrace it and learn from it. That is a lovely note to end on. And for people listening, don't forget, as always, there'll be more resources in the show notes wherever you're listening to this podcast. But for now, Becky and Rich, thank you so much for joining me on The Penny Drops. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops. We hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at royallondon.com. This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London, determination since 1861. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Mm -hmm.